Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Find a seat. The, the fellowship in here is good. It's just so good. Uh, if some of you are still watching online. Dina, if you're watching online, happy birthday yesterday. If you guys see Jerry Lancaster, he's coming. He's going to set up with the food that we do, a lunch and a lesson after church. He's, uh, his birthday's tomorrow. So if you see Jerry, wish him a happy birthday. It's good to see some of your faces. The Wallers are back. It's just good. The communion, the fellowship, and joy. Some of you are asking, well, what's joy going to do? She's still going to be around. She's going to volunteer. She's going to help. She's just making more space for her family and ministry. So anyways, praise be to the Lord. We are in a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, and today is the conclusion. Today we will talk about yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, which sets itself up, by the way, for a perfect three-point sermon, doesn't it? So that, that's what we're going to do today. In our house, we pray this prayer quite a bit, not every day, but oftentimes, many of our days at dinner time, we sit around and we hold hands and we pray the Lord's Prayer. I have four uh, little boys, all nine and under, and they will take turns fighting over who will lead us in the prayer. And so we pray and we hold hands. And when we get to this part, we kind of yell it. And we, I don't know who started this, but our hand motions, we all hold hands in the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so here we are at the conclusion, the best benediction of the best prayer ever prayed. Here we are this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to read chapter six of Matthew where Jesus prefaces this prayer. And he says this, first he says how not to pray, and then he will tell us how to pray. So Matthew chapter six, starting in verse five, Jesus says first how not to pray. When you pray, do not not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand uh, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners to be seen by others. Don't do that. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Verse six, but when you pray, here's how to pray. Go in your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Would you join me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Lord, we continue praying. We, we ask, Lord, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know you better, that you might open the eyes of our hearts so that we'd be enlightened to your goodness and your grace and your mercy, how you've taught us to pray. So Lord, we, we bless your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted. Amen. 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 You may be seated. We, uh, let me just start off with my thesis this morning. I kind of already said it, that this is the best benediction of the best prayer ever prayed. And I can say that with confidence because it's God himself who gives us these words to pray. 
He is Jesus himself. We believe he is fully God. That's what we learned last week if you stayed after for the, the lunch and lesson we are going over the Nicene Creed. And it so clearly proclaims that what we believe is Jesus is fully, fully God. And he gives us the words to pray and he concludes them. We have this benediction added to the Lord's Prayer that says, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. These great words added at the very end of a very great prayer. We began this series a couple weeks ago saying that, yes, of course, it is a prayer, but it is also, the Lord's Prayer is like a culmination. It is like a rallying cry. It is like um, sort of a manifesto. It is like a speech. It is like a political movement encapsulated in just a few words that can be said in like 20 seconds. It is like the encapsulation of a revolution that Jesus was uh, leading. There's really no other like form in which we have so neat a package of all Jesus was about than the Lord's Prayer. And it ends with very powerful words. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Great speeches have great endings. I think about in our nation's history, there's been some great leaders who have made great speeches along the way, and they're very memorizable. I'm thinking about like the Gettysburg Address. How many of you memorized that as an elementary school kid? A couple of you. It ends with some very powerful words. It's a great speech ending with great words. It talks about this nation being under God, and that government of the people by the people and for the people shall not perish from the earth. That's the last lines of this great speech. I think about another speech that always makes the top five list of all greatest speeches in our nation's history. The speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gives, the I have a dream speech. It's, it's well known. In fact, if you listen to it, you just hear that Southern Baptist, like that rhythm and it's, and it's all its beauty. And the last lines of that speech, you all know it. He says, my hope, I have a dream that one day we'll all hold hands together and sing the words of the old Negro spiritual free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. Like these great lines at the end of a great speech. And this, what we're looking at today, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory are great lines at the end of a very, very great speech. So what do these words mean? We say thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. What in the world does this mean? Has it fallen maybe for some of us into this realm of the words we kind of say, but we don't know what they mean? Even some of us from a very young age learn this prayer and we say it. And has it lost its meaning? Are they words that we can just kind of say blindly? Have they fallen into the realm of Christian ease? Have you heard that phrase before? Christian ease is like the words we use as Christians that maybe lose some meaning, that we just kind of hear these phrases, hear these sayings, and we've lost what they mean. Could you, after this sermon, I'm sure you will be able to, but could you right now, in your own words, explain what saying, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory at the end of this prayer mean? Could you say it in your own words? Well, let me help you with that. Um, years ago, someone by the name of Eugene Peterson sat down and began uh, writing the, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, in words 
that we speak as modern American English speakers. So the story of the message, this is the message translation of the Bible. So I remember when it came out, it was quite controversial because it's a paraphrase and like, what does that mean, the paraphrase of what is a translation? Anyways, I remember it was pretty controversial years ago when it came out. Um, But over the years, a lot of people, including myself, have fallen in love with this translation, knowing what it is, um, and that it is uh, a paraphrase, but it's coming from the Greek and the Hebrew. So years ago, uh, Eugene, Peterson had just graduated um, uh, college. He graduated with a degree in uh, ancient Greek, Hebrew, Semitic languages. And he could have went on to like become a professor. He could have went on to, to be a great scholar in the realm of translations and ancient uh, languages. And instead he became a pastor. So he finds himself at this rural uh, Maryland uh, city being a pastor at a little Presbyterian church. And he begins to use some of the giftings that he has, some of his training and schooling. And so for the sermon, uh, whatever it was that week, he would take that passage, whether it be Hebrew or Greek, and go into the languages and translate it in a way that this is how the people are speaking it. Like his congregation was full of just regular people, butchers, janitors, teachers, alcoholics, sinners, saints, people. And he would take the words of these ancient languages and translate them into a way that was modern American English. And so from that, we have today, it took him years and years and years to do this, we have the full Bible, Old and New Testament. And I want to show us today what Eugene Peterson does, because I think it's very beautiful, very poetic, and explains to us, kind of in our own language, what saying, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, means. So if you guys in the tech team, would you put up uh, the, the message translation of Matthew 6, 9, and it says this, it says, you're in charge, You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. That's how he translates. Yours is the kingdom. See that you're in charge. Yours is the power. You can do anything you want. Yours is the glory. You are ablaze in beauty. And then forever, amen, he just says, yes, yes, yes. This is putting that phrase in our own, like how we would say it. And I think it's going to be helpful to us as we look at these words. So all of that was my introduction. Now let's look at these three words, the three points, kingdom, power, and glory. Let's first look at the word kingdom. What does this mean? Well, it means that God is in charge. It's his kingdom. We conclude this prayer by saying, yours is the kingdom. It's kind of almost answering the question maybe you've been thinking all along. Like, who is it that's going to do the bringing of the daily bread? Who is it that's going to forgive us our sins? Who is it that's going to lead us out of temptation and even deliver us from the evil one? Who is this? Who is able to do this? Well, the one in charge. The Father, he is able to do this. The kingdom of God is like juxtaposed with the kingdoms of this world. We look around our world today and at times in history, and there's certainly been evil dictators. There's been uh, horrible things that have happened in the name of grabbing power. There's been taking power. There's been ambition. There's been corruption. There's been like uh, rulers coming to power with uh, horrible means. Like we're, he's going to lie and get the power. And then it's like, well, maybe we should lie to get the power because that, that seemed to have worked. Like, no, 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 no. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom that actually is in charge, God's kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and holiness and peace. God's kingdom is like an upside down kingdom where God, Jesus himself, God, fully God the Father, comes down in the full form of Jesus, fully human, fully God, and gives his life for the many, gives his life on the cross 
His death pays for our sins. It's very um, equal, kind of parallel to, I should say, to what we are experiencing this weekend as we uh, celebrate Memorial Day, which is tomorrow. We celebrate that the people have given their lives for our freedoms. That's a very Christ-like thing to do. That is what the kingdom of God is like. That's really who is in control. That kind of God, the kind of God that gives his life for others. Think about the time of Jesus, the two kingdoms. Jesus proclaiming a kingdom not of this world and the actual Roman kingdom of Jesus' day, the empire of Rome. Think about all the power and the, the might of Rome. Think about how widespread in the known world at the time the Roman Empire was. Nothing could go up against it. It was the Roman Empire. It had so much power. The emperors had so much control. And Jesus, seemingly in the world's eyes, just a homeless street preacher with a few followers, and he was proclaiming a kingdom not of this world that's really in charge. And the Romans get together on behalf of other Jewish leaders, and they put Jesus to death because of what he was claiming. Well, nowadays, it's been 2,000-something years, where's the Roman Empire? I don't know. There's like some artifacts somewhere. There's maybe some coins that have survived. There's little bits and pieces of buildings left. But is the Roman Empire around? No, there's really nothing like it. Um, but Jesus, his kingdom, what are we doing today here in this church? Like there is the kingdom of God among us. Christianity's two point something billion people strong. The kingdom that Jesus, this homeless street preacher from Nazareth and Galilee, he is the one who actually preached what is true. His kingdom is forever. His kingdom is eternal. He really is the one in charge. And so at the conclusion of the Lord's prayer, we say yours is the kingdom. And then next we pray, yours is the power. And the power part, the power piece, uh, Eugene Peterson translates it as, you could do anything. Yours is the power. You could do anything. You are the one who is going to bring the daily bread and deliver us from evil and forgive our sins. You have the power to do this. You are omnipotent. Should we do a nerd alert? We got to get into the omnis of God. Let's do it. Nerd alert. So the three omnis in philosophy and religion that we often talk about, omnipresent, God is everywhere, he's all present. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing, and he's om, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Omnipotent, I said that wrong. He's omnipotent. No, yeah, 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 I said it right. You're confusing me. I'm confusing myself. <laughs> I am not all-knowing. The Lord is, and he's all powerful. My kids, I have four little boys, like I said, they play this little game. A couple years ago, they learned rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And so they were playing this game and learning the rules. And then someone at their school showed them that there's another version where you could play rock, paper, scissors, shoot, anything you want to do. Have you heard this version? So you're not limited to rocks or papers or scissors. You could pick anything. And so somebody will pick scissors and somebody else will pick a gorilla. And the gorilla beats the scissors. You could smash them. And rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Anything you want to do. Someone will pick Batman. Somebody else will pick Superman. And, and then they argue about who would win. And of course, Batman would win. He's smarter. He's got better gadgets, right? right? <laughs> Get some booze. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> or they'll play, uh, and it keeps progressing. Like they'll do lions and Batman and Superman and all these rock, paper, scissors, shoot, anything you want to do. And eventually they're like, well, what's bigger than that? What's better than that? Eventually they're like, oh, I got an idea. 
God, rock, paper, scissors, shoot, anything you want to do, God. And then it became this like competition of who could say God first because I got God and you got whatever else you want. And of course, whatever else you pick is less than God. So whoever says God first is the winner of that game. And it's like in a little kid's game. But think about that. That's omnipotence. There's nothing that exists that is greater than God. God is greater than all things. And that's kind of a kid's game. But I think in our heads as adults, we can kind of think about this, this thing of omnipotence, omnipotence. And I, I think going back to, um, I was in a debate with uh, uh, the president of the Atheist Club up at uh, uh, Pikes Peak Community College, because New Life is right next to the, the North Pikes Peak Community College. And years ago, they, they had a debate. They wanted someone to debate. And so I got to be the debate guy that went up against the president of the Atheist Club. And it was actually really cool, because I before, I was like, if we're going to do this debate, let's at least meet up and have coffee. I was like, okay, cool. So it ended up being, we had coffee a couple times. And we, we would just have these interactions where I stood my ground, he stood his ground. And it was just a casual conversation. So we did this in front of an audience and it was actually quite enjoyable for us and the audience. Like everyone kind of left feeling like, okay, I kind of understand what the other side is now and where you're coming from. It was pretty cool. But one of the arguments he used, which I kind of turned, I think I won the debate. I'm not really sure. It wasn't that kind of a thing, but he used the argument, okay, if God is, you know, all powerful, if he could do anything he wants, then he kind of threw out, maybe you've heard these things. They're kind of like riddle twister things. He said, can God create a rock, have you heard this, so big he can't lift it. Have you heard this? Like a little riddle. And, and, and there's really no good answer. And so I kind of went back and said, well, that's kind of a straw man argument. You're defining yourself what this is. And it's just a riddle. It's not a real philosophical debate. And then he had some other ones too, like, uh, could God make a square circle? And it was like, well, I, I don't even know. I didn't even know, but I kind of just turned it around to say, these are nonsensical, like phil- uh, philosophical ideas. What the idea of God being all powerful means is that he has power over everything in existence. That's what this means. He is in control. And we as believers give him this control. We put upon him, we put the trust of our own lives and our salvation upon him because he is all powerful. He is the one who is in control. I think about like if your car breaks down and and you don't really know too much about cars, you bring your car to a mechanic. And if the mechanic is trusted and he's professional and he's good, well, then you bring your car and you, you leave it off with him to do the fixing, right? Like you don't come in and meddle with him. You make sure he's doing it right. And you're like looking in the windows. I saw this sign one time. It was, it was, it was as a joke, but I think there was probably some seriousness behind it in a car mechanic shop. It says, a minimum charge $50. If you want to watch me fix it, $100. If you want to help, and help was in quotations, if you want to help me fix it while I fix it, $150. And if you worked on it before you brought it to me, the charge is $200. Why? Well, what is that? Well, that's, that's like kind of saying we don't trust you. We want you to fix it, but we don't really fully trust you in how you're going to do it. Think about that with us and who God is and how salvation works. Salvation works. We talk about what it means to be saved in the Christian church at New Life Manitou. And what we mean by that is giving our full authority over to the one who is actually in charge. Calling him Lord 
In fact, uh, Romans 10, 9 says just that. If you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe, then you will be saved. That's, that's what salvation is. It's part of repentance and a part of giving your life over to the one who is really in control. And we as Christians, well, we don't just sit back on the couch and say, oh, God's in control. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to get off the couch. No, no, no. What we do is we pray, like in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we pray on earth as it is in heaven. So we're looking for ways where God is, is like his ways are running parallel with the earth's ways and where God is working. So we do things in Manitou. We have service projects. We, we as a church always say, we use the phrase, we're in the city for the sake of the city. We, we serve every Wednesday with a pantry. We, there's projects we end up doing here and there. We go on missions, for instance. Like my wife and I are leading a trip to Alaska. Like why go? Why go some way far away? Well, because the Lord is at work all over this world and we are called to go, go find where God is working and to be a part of that. To work with God who is in all power doing his work here on earth. This last point is this, the glory. Thine, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Eugene Peterson, we we already read this, translates it in the modern American English. He says, you're ablaze in beauty. That's what it means to say thine is the glory. So the first two things, the power and uh, the, the, yours is the kingdom and the power. Those two things have to do with ability and working out things. And, and this last point, the glory has to do with the Lord's beauty, the Lord's majesty, and him receiving all the glory. This prayer is prefaced by how not to pray. Do you remember that? We just read it a couple of minutes ago. He says, don't pray like the, the, the hypocrites. They like to stand up in the street corners. They like to stand up in the synagogues and go on and on. And everyone sees them. Oh, look at these guys. They're awesome. They're so good at praying. Well, Jesus says they've received all the glory that they're going to be due. Like they've received their reward. Everyone's praising them. They're getting the glory. These people who are good at praying. And I don't know what situation that was in this ancient world, but people were getting honored and rewarded. It's like, oh, well done. Good job praying in the streets. But that you've received your reward already. When you pray, go pray in secret so that it's just you and the heavenly father so that the Lord, not you, can receive all of the glory. Let me reread Matthew 6, 5. It says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. And he goes on to say what I just said. When you pray, go pray in secret. Your father who is in secret will reward you because you are giving him the glory. You then will be rewarded. So the Lord is being glorified here today on this earth in places where we see his glory, him working on the earth. We say, yes, Lord, your glory, your kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And we also, as Christians, we wait for the glory that is coming. The Nicene Creed, our statement of faith at the end says, he will come again in glory. That's what we believe, that one day Jesus will return and it will be 
glorious. He is going to return in full glory, making all things right. If you want to know more about that Nicene Creed, stay after today. We're, we're having a lunch, and it's, it's not an all-day thing. It's lunch, and we're going over uh, the, the Nicene Creed and what we believe as New Life Manager, what we believe as New Life Church. And it ends with this line that we're waiting, we're hoping for the day in which he will return in glory. There's a story, I had to read in high school a book, and I read quite a few high school, uh, I took a literature class, and it was a great class, we got to read a lot of books and talk about them. One very disturbing book that I remember getting to read was a book called Lord of the Flies by Will, William Golden. Have you read that book? Uh, very disturbing. So like uh, this group of boys, a whole boatload of boys, is it a boatload or a plane load? I forget. Crash on a deserted tropical island, and all the adults uh, end up dying in the crash, or the boat wreck, whatever it is. Someone needs to tell me after what it was. And uh, these boys are left alone. They're like teenage boys and they go savage. They go wild, like forming tribes and literally like hurting each other, killing each other for food and just for who's going to take the power. One of the characters with any amount of sense stands up at one point in the book and says, this is ridiculous. We need to stick together. We need to have some organization if we're going to live and we're going to survive in this island together. And as he's giving this speech, Two other boys from a cliff like drop a rock on his head and end up killing him. This is all fiction, but it's, it's a metaphor of like how bad society gets and the influence of evil upon society. And there's another character. They end up killing him, little Simon. He, he runs up to a, a bunch of boys who are running around a fire like in a crazed hysteria, and they end up killing him. And towards the end of the book, this is going to spoiler alert the book for you, by the way. Um, it ends very abruptly. They're chasing the main character, Ralph, to kill kill him. Like all these boys are chasing the main character with, he's like the only one with a little bit of sense left and they want to kill him. And they're running up. And just as they approach him to kill him, they look up and in all its glory, is like some boats out in the ocean. And there stands on the island, a naval officer. And he just looks around and sees this scene of like, like hysteria. And these boys have lost their mind and he, everyone just looks at this guy, he looks at them, and they all just start weeping, and then the book ends. And I can't help but to think, you know, when I was in high school, like, is this somehow, this book and this ending, like the coming of God, like he will come again in glory and just set all things right here we are like a bunch of teenage boys running around and going crazy and hurting each other and we've lost organization and we can't get it and we're trying to clean up ourselves and we can't clean up ourselves and then one day will come the most glorious thing God himself to set all things right we can't clean up ourselves I have four little boys, which I've mentioned now a couple of times. It's just lots of little sermons come from these four little boys. And, you know, they spill stuff. They make a mess. And it's like beyond a mess they can clean up. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to come get mom and dad. We've made a huge mess. We're sorry. And then the parents, me and Erica, will step in and we will clean the mess. Instead of, like, what they try to do is they try to clean it up themselves. Like a huge pile of yogurt on the couch. And they're there with, like, towels from the, from the bathroom. Like, like bath towels trying to wipe it up. And they're just smearing it in. Then somebody else is like, oh, I got a great idea. Let's go get the dirt devil. So they bring the vacuum and they're sucking up yogurt. Like, no, you can't clean this mess up yourself. It's, it's beyond you. You need help. You need the help. We need the help, if we're honest, 
of our heavenly father who can cleanse us, who can take away our sins, who can forgive us, who can give us daily bread, who can deliver us from the evil one. He is the one who will set all things right. And we wait for him to do that. Corinthians 11 says that um, when we uh, eat this bread and take this cup. So when we memorialize or we remember the Lord, we do so by taking a cup, taking bread. And when we do this, we do it here every week, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so we're about to receive communion. I want you to bow your heads and prepare your hearts. Lord, we come before you. And Lord, we, we know that we cannot clean ourselves up enough to get on your good side. That's just not how it works. Lord, you have come into this world. You have died for us. Lord, you are setting us free from ourselves. You are setting us free from our sin. So right now, Lord, we just come before you. And Lord, we we think about where do we need your power in our lives? Lord, where do we need your kingdom to come in our lives? Lord, where do we need to see your glory come to our lives? And Lord, it's, it's in all ways. Lord, we, we look to you for our salvation. We look to you proclaiming your death because it's by your death you have died for us, making us whole, making us sinless, making us um, righteous before you because of our faith and what you have done for us. So Lord, we prepare ourselves. Brett's gonna lead us to the table. Lord, we prepare ourselves to receive of your body and your blood in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.